This is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am Mike Riccio, longtime personal trainer, professional strength coach, gym owner, and most importantly, a devoted modern father and husband. I've been fortunate to learn under some of the most intelligent minds in health and fitness over the past 15 years, as well as work with amazing clients and athletes. What I've most fallen in love with over the years is the power we have over our lives, the power to decrease risk of disease and injury, the power to reach our true potential, the deep abilities the body is capable of when all aspects of health are working simultaneously. On this podcast, you will learn the importance of preventative health and how to optimize your habits to optimize your life. Today, I sit with Kevin Carr, co-owner of Movement as Medicine and the Certified Functional Strength Coach Certification. He's a general manager out at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning in Boston, and he's a professional public speaker. I've heard him talk myself, and Kevin is just an all-around smart and energetic guy. Today, we get into a little bit of everything. We talk about some self-assessments, things you can look at to see what your current state of fitness is. We talk about exercise intensity and the need to work hard and when to work hard, but also when to work on recovery. And we talk about Kevin as a massage therapist and when manual therapies are needed. We get into a ton more. You're not gonna wanna miss this one. Great episode. I really enjoyed every second of this recording. So I hope you do too. Listen in. All right, this is the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast, and I am on with Kevin Carr, co-founder of Certified Functional Strength Coach and Movement as Medicine. Obviously, you know we're going to get along just by the title. Uh, General Manager at Mike Boyle Strength Conditioning and International Educator and Speaker at what I consider one of the most respected groups in the country, the, uh, the Perform Better group. So, Kevin, first of all, just thanks for taking the time and being on, man. Yeah, Mike. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure. Yeah, I like I like the name of the podcast. It's perfect for us. Yeah, I don't want to. I can't say I stole from you, but it was definitely along the same mindset for sure. Um, yeah, so, it, yeah. Would you like uh, talk about yourself a little bit, man? You know, how'd you how'd you get into training? How'd you get to where you are today? Mm-hmm. Yeah, like um, like a lot of people in fitness or in rehab. Like I think a lot a lot of us start as like because of self, right? We were into exercise, we're into sports performance because we were an athlete or we wanted to get better rehab for an injury. So like I played football and did track growing up. I had a shoulder injury and that really turned me on to lifting because I went through rehab. I had a really good PT actually now in hindsight, looking back and he really turned me into strength training. And so I adapted to that. And, and that's really what got me to look into going to school for strength conditioning, going to school, uh, initially thinking I was going to go to physical therapy school. I went to UMass Amherst. Um, and in that process, when I was about 19 years old, I ended up at Mike Boyle strength conditioning in Woburn. Um, and I, I mean, I'm fast forward 12 years, I'm still there. Right. And I didn't know kind of where I was going. I had no idea who Mike was. I was just referred by somebody to intern and it really opened my eyes to what strength conditioning was at that time. I was really classic 19 year old meathead, right? I just got my ACE certification. Uh, so I started <laughs> doing personal training at Gold's where I'd worked, uh, since I was like 16 and you know, I can go in there and they're doing single leg squats and single leg deadlifts and they're sprinting and jumping and throwing. And like, I'm used to being at Gold's on the pec deck and on the, the <laughs> leg press and all this other stuff. And it was a whole new world to me. So I knew right there, I had an identity. There were people who cared about it and they were smarter than me and more experienced than me. And they were 
doing things that I was like, Oh my God, I could train athletes my whole life or I could train, you know, train people all the time. I saw a real career there. So that was a big turning point for me in my career where I really became focused on strength and conditioning. And, you know, after I graduated and I continued my career, Mike Boyles, I got interested in massage therapy. I speaking to some people who were massage therapists and PTs, you know, Brendan Rierick and myself, we went to college together and then we were working at NBSC together and we decided to go back and start moving as medicine as a business and both get our massage licensure. And we kind of worked through night school and, and, and built that into what we kind of dreamt of, uh, back in college. So, no, it's been a great adventure. And obviously MBSC has been a great, you know, uh, foundation for me to work off. Mike's been a great mentor to me. Bob has been a great mentor to me. And it, it's, it's really provided me the platform to grow what I have now for a career. So, so I'm thankful for that. And how important is that mentorship early? You know, um, it's so easy. There's, it's so opinionated. It's such an opinionated industry. Um, and I, I am so lucky that I fell under some good mentors straight out of grad school. Otherwise, I don't know if I'd be in the place I am today. And for people that you know don't know the industry, you connected with a obviously a highly, highly respected uh, person and organization right from the start. So how important was that for you? It's, it's absolutely huge. And like I said, I didn't know who I was surrounded by when I was surrounded by them as far as not just Mike. But the other coaches that were there when I first started and were there through especially my early years. So like obviously people know Mike, but then there are people like Nicole Rodriguez who went on to work for Exos and, and teaches all over the world. There's Josh Bonatal who's at Purdue who's with the Chicago Bulls. There's uh, Jonas Boucham who was out with the Atlanta Falcons. There's, you know, Dan Gableman who's a union or Devin McConnell who's a UMass Lowell. There's all these Jamie Rodriguez is with the Rangers. These were all coaches who I learned from. They were like there for two or three years before me and they were like my coworkers, right? And, you know, they're just other people at NBSC who I obviously were very impactful for me. And uh, it's always like that 10 year, 20 year window. You look around and you're like, oh my God, I'm so grateful that I had an opportunity to learn from these people because, I mean, I was clueless when I walked in there and these people really kind of showed me the way. And, and I would say I'm grateful I started there because sometimes people start in places where they might have bad influences or people who, you know, then you have to kind of work your way back till you're like, oh, hey, this is probably what I need to do. And, and they they were very, very impactful for me, both as people, because I think they were all very good people first and as professionals within strength and conditioning. So I think the number one thing people can do when they're young is find a practical experience where somebody can guide you the right way. And in our industry, the wrong first impression might be enough to get you out of it, right? It might be, it might be the end of you in this industry. It doesn't take much, um, you know, because there's a lot of stress, a lot of mm -hmm. pressure at first. And you and I, so I graduated in 2010 with my master's. We both started around the same time where the industry was changing. I too started in physical therapy school. And a year in, I realized I thought that was the way to be successful. I thought that was the only thing. And it's a great field. But I realized by seeing and working with great strength coaches, I'm like, actually, that's that's what I want to do. Um, mm -hmm. You know, so I think we really came in at a, at a pivotal shift to where we have this opportunity to work in models like like you and I own now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, and again, I think everybody will, will find their groove. Like you said, you had to try physical therapy school to figure out where your window was and your niche was. And I, I went into the, the collegiate setting and did some volunteer time and some like internship time. And I learned a lot from some great coaches 
but I also learned that I don't think that that's the setting I want it to be in. So I think like sometimes I say like, Hey, I think negative experiences can be a positive in that you figure out, Oh, this is actually where I want to be. And, and so for you to figure out like, Hey, I really want to be in the fitness space where I can help people be healthier is important because that's something you can be passionate about and build your career around. I suppose some people who, you know, they find out later in their life, like, Oh, I wish I had kind of gone this other way. So, so you got to be able to be self-actualized in those situations and think like, okay, this is maybe not where my, my interests and my strengths could, could best serve me. And it sounds like you were a little bit ahead of the time. You know, I'm, I'm at 35 years old in 2020, starting this, this podcast and this title in a time where we are still fighting to get prevention to be a more widespread accepted mentality, right? It's hard for people to think I have to do things now that don't affect me now and they don't benefit me now. But if I don't do them now, 30, 40, 50 years from now might, might be really tough. Um, you know, so movement as medicine is something you already had in your mind, what, a decade ago? Um, so where, where did that come from for you? It's funny, the actual, the actual phrase came from a professor that Brendan and I had in college. And so this guy's name was Barry Braun. He was a great, he taught our kinesiology 110 class. He was a great professor. And he had an article. He had done a lot of research on exercise and diabetes. That was his like main kind of thing he did in strength training. And that was the name of just an article that he wrote. And Brendan and I were like, really like that. So we kind of played around with that idea for a while. And we came back to that title for our business and it was, it was really impactful for us. And, and then in bec- what gave it meaning, I think, was working at the gym and seeing it happen and seeing people who lost a bunch of weight, you know, got off their blood pressure medicine, um, had function, got rid of functional limitations as they age, helped like got rid of low chronic low back pain from, you know, strength training and exercising consistently. And us thinking like, this is something we can deliver to people, especially people who come to come into us, you know, it might be limited and require that manual therapy intervention that we had went to school to, to, to use. And then thinking like, okay, this is something I really believed in. It was a title that, that really stuck with us. And we're like, this is too good not to, not to, to, to use, you know, uh, it's impactful and it, it draws the right person to you. And I do want to get into the manual side at some point. Um, but first, you know, it's, Many people come for weight loss and people come for certain reasons, but we as professionals sometimes have that, that hidden agenda that we want to come in. Not the, not the personal hidden agenda, but the, hey, you're here for this, but we know that we can actually do more of an impact than you even realize, right? Um, so at what point do you start talking about some of these concepts with your, with your general population? Yeah, I think you have to meet them where they're at with their education and, and what you're going to give them, right? I think every session should be a mix between what they want and what they need and how much you're willing to educate, how much you're willing to shift it towards what they need. It's going to really depend on the acceptance of that client. Because like I've had some people come to me and like, they're very clear. They want like things that are kind of counter what they need. So you have to be able to, a good coach can blend those things together and start to weave in education as they come to see you. And in figuring out, you know, how do I move them along the spectrum towards like my way of thinking? And it's really, I, I have a conversation with someone just yesterday about like the conversations when someone first comes in the door. And like one of the first questions I asked, like, what are your past experience with ex- exercise? Like, what are your past things that you have done, positive and negative? 
And what are your expectations for a good training session? Because what we expect as professionals and have who have a thought out philosophy, it's going to be very different than someone who comes in off the street to come see you. Because fitness is one of those things that like everyone has an opinion on whether or not they're a professional, right? Like you go to get your car worked on and you're not like, oh, well, I really think you should fix it this way. Like this is what I saw in a magazine, but this is what I saw on TV. And so it's, it's always about kind of meeting them where they're at and, and providing that education so that they understand the value um, while also giving them the feeling like obviously there's a sensation with exercise that people are, are seeking. How can you give them that in a way that they want? So it, I think it all starts with the conversation of their goals and what their expectations are. And then how do I meet them there with my philosophy and my thought process? Yeah. And in your system, which is a growing system, and again, one that was ahead of its time because now it's vastly growing, right? This, well, you have a big footprint, but these middle-sized gyms that do pretty much only training, right? For the most part, um, you know, your system is very regimented. I've gone through your certification process. Um, I've listened to you and Mike talk multiple times over the years at, at these seminars. You know, there is, you know, there's exercises we don't do no matter what. There are set progressions or set regressions or set changes you do. Um, so where's, I guess, where's the wiggle room for guys like us for the, okay, we're going to come in and try to make it yours as you're new, but we're also going to introduce a really set educational system to your life, Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And so part of it is like being like, Hey, this is what we're going to try today. I want to see where you're at. And then I try to find like, again, what's the sensation that they want, right? Cause like, sometimes they're like, they want to feel their abs, right. Or they want to sweat. And in my mind, I'm like, all right, you're probably not ready for higher intensity work. Or you, I'm not going to have you do a, a bunch of crunches, but like, how can I give you that same sensation of ab work? Or how can I give you that sensation? Like you just did a high intensity in class, um, but also have you work on a proper hip hinge and also restore your shoulder mobility. And so I always say like, if you're going to take something away, like, Hey, I'm not ready to have you do kettlebell swings or deadlifts yet. Cause you can't touch your toes. Give them something else. Like I, I always say like, if I'm going to take away your, your swing or your deadlift, cause you don't even have proper flexion in your spine and your hip, I'm going to let your goblet squat. Right. Because you still get a fitness level activity, not just something that looks like physical therapy. Right. I want to make sure you move well but you still develop fitness. Um, hey, you know what? I don't think running is a good idea for you yet, but let's try to work towards that. I always tell them like, hey, I want you to be able to do these things. I want you to have the ability and the resiliency to be able to do activity X, whatever it is that you like. But we're going to start with the airdyne bike or we're going to you know, start with the sled push because you can tolerate that and then we'll work that way. So I always try to tell them like, listen, I want to give you this, but I'm going to give it to you in the way that is going to be most responsible and then give them something else. So they feel like they still got fitness because most people walk in the door to see you or I, not necessarily because they're like, I need, I want to fix my shoulder mobility. I want to fix my hip. They want to look better. They want to feel better. They want to feel like they used to 10, 20 years ago. So you have to respect that approach as well. So again, it's always just kind of, it's the, the, I say communication and negotiation as a coach, the more you do it, the more you coach, you realize I need, you need to have those skills. Yeah. And, and being able to, like you said earlier, identify those things at the, at day one, at the beginning, right. To learn why someone is really in front of you. Um, and to find that you mentioned touching your toes. Do you have something that you have a list of things you look for? So for these listeners that are listening to you right now, what are a few things they can do at home safely to say, Hmm, maybe these things I should think about. 
if I can't touch my toes, there's a list of things that maybe I just shouldn't do right away. It doesn't mean I can't do them. I don't have the ability, but a heavy deadlift may not be advantageous if I don't have the functional capacity to even bend down and tie my shoes without um, sitting. Do you have other things like that that people could try just to gain some self-awareness in their current state? Yeah, yeah. So I always, I always try to analyze costs. Like I always tell people like, listen, if you can't touch your toes, you can deadlift. It just costs you more than it costs me because I can do it easily. And so your buffer zone, your room for error is just a lot smaller. So the chance that you don't feel good or you're tired or your back stiff is just going to be higher. So we're analyzing the cost of doing business. So yeah, toe touch would be one of them. Like if you can't touch your toes, anything that requires you to get to the floor, like deadlifting and swinging repeatedly, is going to be more costly. Um, similarly, if I ask you to lay on your back on the ground and bend your knees, get your feet flat and ask you to just flex your arms up over your head and you can't reach the ground without arching your low back off the ground, things like chin-ups and overhead pressing are going to be more costly because you need to use a different strategy to get yourself into that position. If, if you can't, uh, go up six inches from a wall with your foot and dorsiflex and touch your knee to the wall with your heel down sprinting and any activity where you have to be in extreme dorsiflexion is going to be more costly because your ankle can't access those so those are all the things i try to look at like looking at the activity that is the goal activity so whether it's sprinting or swinging or deadlifting or overhead pressing and analyzing the joint mobility that's needed and saying like do you have that and if you don't we just need to think about, is it worth it for you to pursue that activity with, before we check that box? And so I'm on, like in at Movement is Medicine, typically when people come to see me because they have stiffness or soreness or some sort of pain, I'll tell you, the majority of the time, it's because they don't have requisite ranges of motion or control. And it's just my job to kind of connect the dots from there. And you can connect the dots in multiple ways because you also have this manual therapy background. Now, when you and I spoke, we talked about this link, um, this, this really nice marriage between the manual side and the movement side and how one without the other mm-hmm. may be, um, you know, maybe just at a disadvantage if you can't work off each other. And, and maybe, well, I guess I'll call it what it is, mm-hmm. sometimes a waste of time, right? Or, or a less ideal work of time. Can you talk about that relationship, what yep. you do with manual therapies and why it links to movement later? Yeah. And we talk about conversations at the outset. I've gotten very good at now telling people from the beginning, like, listen, we're going to start maybe doing some more work on the table, but every time you come in, this is going to look more and more like exercise. And I, if things are going well, that's what should be happening. And if we're not doing that, I am going to tell you that we, we probably need to switch things up. Like I'll tell you very, I'm, I'll never forget having this conversation with a guy that was referred into me from a client of ours. It was a relative and he, he came in with chronic patellar tendonitis, knee pain. And he, the, like I go through the assessment and the, the number one thing, the elephant in the room, so to speak, is, you know, the guy was really overweight. Like he, he was like 300 plus pounds in didn't have a history of exercise, had a sedentary job, and his knee was killing him. And I remember starting to tell him how, okay, like, I'm going to work on it to deal with the tissue restrictions we have, uh, deal with the, the limitations that you're dealing with. But 
I want to go out and start to work on one, getting you just walking consistently, starting to work on some assisted squatting, starting to work on some mobility. And he put the brakes on me right there. And was like, Oh, I, I'm not really interested in exercising. I really just came here because I was heard you're, heard you're a massage therapist. And what I had to explain to him was like, this isn't like uh, like a la carte. Like you don't yeah, get to just say, Hey, we're just going to do massage. Because for me, I, 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 and I, I said this in a, a, a polite manner and said, like, I have a personal responsibility to do the best thing I can for you. And some people, like I said, with fitness or some of these consumer based things like massage think like, okay, I can request this. And I remember telling him like, I'm not going to be doing my best practice for you. If I just rub your knee every week, because you'll feel better transiently for an hour or so, but tomorrow you're going to get up out of your desk chair and you're going to, your knee's going to hurt again. And years from now, your knee will still hurt. So getting them to understand that usually a lack of resiliency in some aspect of their life is why they might end up to see you for some sort of pain. It's a lack of fitness, so to speak. Like he was not fit enough to go to his job every day and do whatever he had to do without his knee hurting. And having people understand that is really important. And I think it's really empowering when people start exercising. But I think sometimes they have to, if they're not someone who is accustomed being in a gym, right? Then for them, there's a kind of a growing period where they have to be okay. Okay, we're lifting weights to get better. And like, it's easy when you have fitness people who want to get better, but when you have people who come from outside of a training environment and they want, they think about a classic physical therapy or a classic rehab model, it's not that, but in the long run, their payoff is going to be much greater than if they went the other route, you know? Yeah, absolutely. It, it's, you know, to use a, a, I'm, a I'm the king of analogies, but you know, it's, it's not a restaurant, you know, you, you go to a professional chef because they're professional, but then you get to pick whatever you want off the menu you know, and what we do there, there is a process and there are different tools. And unfortunately, all the tools are great, but by themselves, none of them are that fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's no different, right, than saying, yeah. I want to come in and I just want to squat. <laughs> you know, a lot of people don't have access to a professional manual therapist. We sh- if you have the means, you should find one, right? It's, it's crucially important because the reverse is true, too, where sometimes we need that manual piece to be able to set up those prerequisites you talked about to move. But in your program, you you do the best of both, right? Because in your programs, you also work on that self-manual technique. So mm-hmm. where, I guess, you know, let's talk about the relationship between what you do and what you start handing off to the, um, to the SMR, the self-manual side. So for those listening, mm-hmm. what I'm talking about really, it's foam rolling, it's self-massage, it's trigger point, yep. um, it's, the man, it's the massage guns, you know, it's all that stuff that's out there now. What do you start handing off to those tools versus what you do with your own hands? Yep. And so it's funny because I think like everything in this industry, there's a pendulum where something is great and then everybody hates it. And then if we're sensible, <laughs> we kind of have a perspective on things where we end up back in the middle. And that, that has happened with foam rolling and uh, SMR 100%. When they first came out, you if anything was wrong with you, people would say foam roll. It didn't matter what it was. Then it's gone the other way where people like are like, it's useless. It's a waste of time. And like many things, it's, it's a nuanced answer to a nuanced question in that foam rolling isn't going to change tissue length. Foam rolling isn't going to fix a movement problem. But foam rolling opens up a neurological window of opportunity to start to get that person to move better. And subjectively, it probably makes a lot of people feel better. And that alone tells me that it's worth the block of time that you are going to allot to it, right? And if some people say it's a placebo, 
And I heard a really smart person one time, uh, Charlie Weingroth told me, placebo just means we measured the wrong variable, right? Just means we measured the wrong variable because that person's happier and they say it feels better. So as long as it's not detracting from what you're doing, as long as the person's not spending 30 minutes of the training session on a foam roller trying to roll away their tension in their IT band, it'll always be there. But they're like, hey, if I roll my quads, I feel better when I stretch and I feel better when I squat and they can squat with full range of motion. That's a good investment of your time. So for me, I always think, listen, I want you to foam roll all the things that generally people have higher neurological tension in. Lat, posterior rotator cuff, lateral hip, adductors, abs, quads, lateral glute, all these things. Probably a good use of your time because there's plenty of research to show uh, although it might be passive or active range of motion, they measure range of motion, they foam roll for 30 seconds to a minute, and then they show it again and it's improved, right? So now I take that into active mobility work where I'm contracting and trying to pull myself into position to actually maybe start to get some plastic change if I'm contracting and pulling and then strength training in a good range of motion. And then you're kind of hitting the save button on the document. You're slowly working your way towards better movement quality because you're following it up with things. And that's where we go back to kind of the same restaurant analogy where we say, you know, training is a uh, recipe, not a menu, right? It, like if I'm going to bake a cake, I can't just take the flour out because I don't want the flour. And I can't just have the flour by itself, right? To make the flour effective, you need to have all the other things around it. And that's the same thing with foam rolling. If you were just a foam roll, you might feel better transiently, but it's not going to really help. But if you follow it with motor control and your good movement and warm up and good coaching also and full range strength training, all of a sudden you have a really good result. And so you have to look at it as a whole product. So going back to, again, this goes even back to your another question, but how do you give people your system? Trying to explain to them over time that all of these things are connected. And that's why I've had clients who took the CFSC because they like are longtime clients of ours. And they're like, oh my God, I get it now. All of these things work together because you need to foam roll and then you stretch. And I'm like, yes, that's what, that's our point. So it's, it's, again, it's tying all these things back together that it should support everything else that you do. Yeah. And I, and this is a good, really good transition point that you just brought in the importance of educating clients that has changed so much. It's something that always made sense to me. I my clients that that understand the why tend to follow, tend to follow the recipe. Um, you know, I, I've just never believed in this kind of come in and just follow mentality, even if it's what the client wants. At some point, I'm going to find my opportunity to introduce some level of education into a program. Uh, you obviously are, you know, notorious for for making that a part of your programs. How important is that for people to not just follow? but to have some level of understanding um, and ownership of their own program. I think their, their ownership of what they do and their commitment to what they do commits to them knowing about it. Like think about things in your life that are outside of fitness that you want to have a commitment to saving money, being financially responsible, right? You can't be financially responsible if you don't understand the basic parts of finance and read like finance for dummies, right? You can't be a better, you know, parent if you don't go like read and educate. Like it's the same thing with fitness. Like you can't just show up and shut your brain off. And at some point, if you're going to consistently do it, I think naturally, if you're going to spend a lot of money to go to the gym, 
a lot of time to go to the gym. Say you have a client that comes two days a week and personal trains. That's a, that's a, a very expensive product. That's a luxury item. And that's a hundred touch points a year, probably. At some point, the majority of those people are going to want to ask questions. And it's about the type of person. When can you start feeding it to them more um, without like feeding like you're, you're feeding them through a, a hose, right? You want to make sure it's the right process. But in most pills, people, if they're making that investment, I think they want to have an understanding. It's just your delivery might change. So we, we really start very basic with things like nutrition. Um, that are, it's almost too simple. People might look at our nutrition education and be like, why are you telling them like what types of carbs and fat, what is carb, what is fat, what is protein? Because some people just don't know these things. Okay. Hey, if you're going to eat out, these are the best places you can find meals that you can adjust to. Um, and then from a training standpoint, almost taking that CFSC curriculum for our clients and simplifying it even more. Hey, this is why I choose these exercises for you. And like slowly but surely feeding piece after piece after piece, you bring them along. And for me, the most gratifying thing is when you have clients who become self-sufficient, like they don't really need me anymore. Um, I had a text from a client literally today. I haven't even answered it. It was right before this. And she said, you know, I, we bought kettlebells at our house. Uh, we have all this equipment in our house. Thank you so much for everything that you guys at MVSE did for, for us because they can train themselves. I'm like, oh, that's not a lost client. That's like a testimonial. That's a win. Um, or, or someone who says, okay, I want to become a coach or go through the CFSC. That's the goal. That's how you should always think about training people so they become autonomous, right? Yeah. If you're doing that part of your job well, you definitely don't have any lack of people coming through your facility. You know, it's not like you're, you're losing the only client you had when that happens. <laughs> you lose one, and but then the referrals are tenfold, right? And so you have to always think of it like, I'm yeah. training this person so that they will get so good that someone's going to ask them, oh my God, where do you work out? And then they say, oh, I learned from Kevin or I learned from Mike, right? And that that's what you want. Yeah. So I'm going to read a quote. I, uh, this was something you posted yesterday or two days ago. And it's a misconception yeah, yeah. that you just posted. And uh, I'm going to read it first. And then I'm going to talk about it because this speaks to educating people and finding balance. So the quote was, and I saw I saw later on that it came from an earlier post on the Movement as Medicine uh, site, I believe. But it's mm-hmm. the misconception that you need to be exhausted, sweaty, and breathless to gain benefits from exercise is probably the greatest prevailing exercise myth that exists today. And it leads many gym goers chasing fatigue instead of real progress. Talk about it. I have questions on it, but talk about it first. Yeah, I think I think it's the the reason I said that um, is because like I think you see many of the average person people go to the gym, they chase soreness, fatigue, sweatiness as signs of a good exercise. For them, they associate for this to be good. I have to be sore tomorrow. I have to be exhausted today and I have to be covered in sweat. And I'm not saying those things should never happen. They will happen, but they're byproducts of exercise. Byproducts don't necessarily mean that they need to be there for there to be a positive result. So if you look at fitness, fitness by definition means I'm trying to make myself more ready to uh, take on this stress, whether that's aerobic, whether that's our blood pressure, whether that's our, our full body strength, whatever that might be, right? And so the problem is you have all these people facing these very general byproducts of exercise without a thought of 
what am I trying to get out of this process? And those are the same people who often say, oh, my back hurts. I'm constantly tired. I'm constantly hungry. I didn't sleep well. And getting them to understand that, listen, stop focusing on the byproduct and start focusing on what we want to get out of the process. And it's going to change our application. And so, so getting people to understand that we talked about edu- go right back to education it is, is very important, I think. Yeah. And it's, and that's the reason I brought it up because it's people use information the wrong way sometimes. And you, you have not obviously just as many people, but actually maybe more people that would take this advice sometimes and say, well, I'm just going to always work under the radar. And, you know, and I, what I really try to get across is there, there's a time to push and we're pushing constantly. I'm always pushing your limits. But as you said, the, the specific byproducts that you think you're looking for may not come with the same work if you're doing the right things. Um, so it's a ratio game. It's, it's I'm going to work really hard a few days a week. I'm going to work on recovery. Um, and recovery is something that is still... Um, I think something we're still missing the boat on. Now we talked about it a little bit in manual therapies uh, and foam rolling, but uh, and nutrition is obviously a huge recovery piece. What is the conversation like uh, with you and your clientele, athletes or general population, um, on recovery and what they should look for? Yeah, and so something I've definitely focused on more the past two years, year and a half is again my initial intake conversation when people come into me with chronic pain or stiffness or whatever those issues are asking them to take on your average day what would you rate it on a stress level from one to ten take me through your day what time do you get up what's your morning like what's your commute like what's your work day like what's your like general routines do you have leisure activities things that you like to do um what's your average sleep like like how many hours or do you feel rested do you wake up um Okay, well, take me through your nutrition. Let's food log. And lots of times, again, people will say, well, I'm coming to you for back pain. Or I'm coming to you for neck pain. Uh, why, why do you have to ask me that? Well, because all of these things affect the outcome. And going back to pain, we know pain is an experience that someone goes through. It's not necessarily a local, uh, uh, it's not just because someone has an injury. It's a full body experience that encapsulates everything that they're going through including their stress, their nutrition, their sleep quality, it's going to affect what that outcome is. And so getting them to understand that all of these variables matter, especially people who have chronic persistent pain or, or, or just have stiffness because they're like this all the time, getting them to understand that I think is, is important. So again, you have to meet them where they're at. Like some people aren't ready to have a conversation about, hey, you need to change, you said lifestyle is medicine, you need to change how you manage your day. And then you, that's when you start to become more than the fitness person. Like if you saw my talk, the movement is medicine talk that I did it perform better, where I talk about like, we are healthcare professionals in a, in a sense that we're environment people. Like that's what personal trainers are. We're helping you. If you're doing a great job, I think you're helping them shape their environment. So being like, okay, let's talk about stress management. Let's talk about how you get through your day each day. And so then all of a sudden, again, our job becomes more than coaching squats but I think if you're doing a good job, it should be more than that. So you have to start to dig a little deeper, especially for the clients who have, or, or these are people who we call label as difficult clients or people who, you know, are high stress individuals or type A individuals, but those are the conversations they probably need to have with their, with their fitness person, you know? And the general, the day-to-day awareness. I recently wrote an article about, you know, the body being this ever moving 
variable. And, or, well, it's every moving piece that has so many variables. And everything from the position I sleep in to what my last 72 hours were are going to affect what I am today. And as fitness professionals, we can walk in the door every day and say, based on what I'm feeling, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. Right? And I'm going to adjust my day to make sense. That, that's not as easy for the everyday person. And actually, you brought up Weingroff. I was very lucky. The company I worked with um, before I started my gym, which is in Boston as well, I was at a position where we got to have some very, very influential people come in. I got to spend a weekend with them. Charlie was one of them. So Charlie came in and there were seven of us and we got to spend two days with Charlie, which as, as you know better than I do, was very entertaining. And I've got some really good quotes, <laughs> sure. really, really good quotes and memories from working with Charlie Weingroff. Uh, I'll sh- we'll talk about those when we're done recording. But, uh, but he's, he's brilliant. And one thing he said was, you know, and he's the physical therapy side. He has a five-question questionnaire that he sends that everyone has to fill out every morning. It's like a readiness questionnaire. So really the questions he said don't necessarily mean all that much to the client at first. But over time, he can see the change in the variable. Well, it's a one to five scale. You've normally answered four or five on this. Today, you said two. Maybe today, I don't want to kill you in the workout. Or maybe today, I'm seeing some kind of spark and I want to use this energy. Uh, Can you talk about readiness a little bit? Can you talk about what, what do you see? What do we see? You know, you and I see when someone walks in the door, it's like, you know what? You are stressed out as all hell. I think I got to do something a little different today than what I had planned on the paper. It's funny. I I got that questionnaire from him and Patrick Ward years ago, and I still use that five-question model. Like, how sore are you today? Uh, How much energy do you have today? How tired are you today? Those those things. Yeah, yeah. that, That right there demonstrates the questions that you need to ask consistently, right? So for me, my clients like used to joke. I got this one client, Linda, who like I would always say, all right, how are you feeling today? Every time she came in and she would be like, I'm going to make you a shirt that says that because you literally say that to me every time. <laughs> but based on that, your client, if you like, listen, we have all these touch points with people and you can tell if like this, someone comes in, they're energized. Like if you literally just take the time to talk to people and you're a, a good communicator and you practice your listening skills, you'll start to identify Oh, they, they look like they're flat today by the way they're standing, by the way they're talking, by their energy. And then using the warm up, like I love with my athlete groups because a lot of times the high school kids, they kind of like don't really want to talk anyway. Sometimes they're too cool. So, like, I'll take them through the active warm up and I can be like, they're flat today. I can tell right now they're flat today. And I'll be like, oh, how was practice this week? Oh, coach bagged us. Got it. All right, we'll take it back, conditioning a little bit. And, and with the general pop, usually they'll give you more back and forth, but I can tell right away, like, Oh, you slept good. You feel energized. You, you went to bed early. You didn't drink. Like, all right, we can hit it a little harder today. Like I have one guy, I train this guy all the time and I see him very early to two or three days a week. And some days like he's energized. He's chirping me from the time he comes in the door. I'm like, all right, I'm going to hit him hard today. Some days we literally will get through mobility and he won't have even spoke to me because he's like, he's like a lawyer. He'll be up, he'll literally like almost pull an all nighter. And I almost want to tell him to go home. And he'll like, just be out. I can tell him like, all right, we're not going to do anything today. We're going to do like mobility. We're just going to get you moving. We're going to do some aerobic work. And, and so you have to be able to start to look at cues with people because I de- in an ideal world, you can send them the questionnaire. You can use an aura ring. You could H, you could Omega wave them, but that's just not reality, especially with gen pop. Yeah. Yeah. I, I got one. <laughs> it's charging. And, yeah. um, and, and so if, 
in an ideal world, you could do that. But for most people, that's not the case. So you have to have different ways to identify the same valuable markers. And I think conversations is where it starts. Yeah. Uh, yes, I, I raised my aura ring up to, to Kevin here on the screen because it's, <laughs> I, I am a, I'm a fitness professional. I've been doing this for 15 years, but some days I walk into the gym and I still, this perfectly segues back to your quote that we just read, right? I still walk in the door and say, but I had this planned and I want to do it, but I have three kids and one of them kept me up all night, you know, or yesterday yeah. was, I was, you know, I'm a business owner and as much as I hate to say it, I let the day get away from me and I ate a quarter of the calories that I should have had between the two. I I'm not in a good state. And you know what? Sometimes I need the data to remind me of don't be stupid. Um, that was just to me, for me not to be stupid, but really though, that perfectly, perfectly links back to your quote of, if every time you walk in the door, you feel like you have to be exhausted by the workout alone, then you might not be taking advantage of the situation and the signs that your body's given you. Uh, yeah, absolutely. It's funny. I, I always say, I wish the aura ring, um, like I'm an East coast guy. I deal well with sarcasm. I <laughs> wish like the aura ring would be like, Oh, great job, Kevin. You actually got a full night of sleep last night. Like, why don't you go train hard? Like, I wish there was like, a, I could customize the voice, but you need that. You need that, yeah. that feedback, no matter how educated you might be on the subject, right? because uh, you need something to guide you. And so like a great coach feedback from an aura ring, like that's why coaches need coaches. Like you need someone to tell you like, Hey, I think that maybe you should do this today because you're going to be your worst coach, no matter how educated <laughs> you are. And I think right. anybody uh, would tell you that. Is the aura ring uh, in a Boston accent when you when you think about it? It should like that's what I want. <laughs> I would want it in the Boston accent, and and to like to lay into me a little bit. I think I, I respond to that type of coaching. So yeah, I, I, I well I do too, and I guess maybe Chicagoans aren't all that different. But I do yeah. laugh though. You know, yeah, most exactly. mornings, unfortunately, most mornings I wake up and it tells me pay attention. That's the, that's the cue I always get. Cause I'm typically, that's my big flaw. I need to work on sleep. And, uh, I have a one-year-old that's finally sleeping through the night. So I'm getting there, but, uh, every night, every, but it's every morning I see, and this is not a, this really isn't a pitch for the aura ring, but just talk about awareness. And you can do this by feeling too. Every morning I wake up and I see pay attention. I'm slightly upset, right? And I'm slightly mad at the aura <laughs> ring, which, which really doesn't make any sense, but it's true. I'm like, you know, shut up ring, stupid. Uh, but yeah. then I calm down a little bit and I realize I need to listen to it and I need to make sure I do the workout that makes sense for me today. Because if I don't, it's not just about wasting today. It's about the ramifications it'll have on tomorrow and the next day, um, on my energy levels, on my mood, on the way I come back and treat my, my wife and kids when I get home from work that day, you know, there's, there are these exercise and fitness and health, there's this opportunity to use the tools we have to really affect the things that people don't realize is a linkage, right? Um, mood. Mood is a big one. Uh, some people just come in. Have you seen that? You've seen it with clients as much as I have. Angry clients. People that came to you and they were irritable and almost, almost to the point where you're like, I'm not sure if I can work with this person. And they become a happier person a year in. And I probably don't point yeah. that out. To most clients, but um, but right, that's a powerful thing too, isn't it? Oh, absolutely. And then, like, I have one woman who said, like, listen, if I didn't come to see you consistently, I would lose my freaking mind on everybody because she's got like three kids, they got businesses, they got all this stuff going on, and she's 
she like she's like my two days a week that I come to see you are are the only real thing I do for myself. Like nothing else interferes with it. It's not about my kids, not about my husband, it's not about jobs or businesses or anyone else in my family. It's something they do for themselves. And so you realize like they're investing again. When I say to my 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 coaches, I say, listen, could you afford your own service? And a lot of them, like you think you're like, oh, would I invest that much money every week? Like two hundred dollars a week to two days a week to trade like this is expensive. And so realize that that's that alone shows you that they value it in some capacity from a financial an objective financial standpoint. And so realize like you need to make that the best hour of their day. And even though it might be like you're six o'clock at night, like you might be exhausted, but they don't care that you were there at five. That's not they're not paying that because you were like, oh, sorry, you don't have to work that hard. I'm paying a hundred dollars. Um, but for them, that's there's obviously value there. So you you have to think like they're investing to not not just improve their health, but they're probably because they, it makes them feel better. They leave there and they feel like I did something for myself. My energy is better, and so so it's important. It affects like you said everything that you do. And for like think about a guy like you own a business, you got three kids, right? Your time is extremely valuable. So if they're going to invest an hour of it with you twice a week, it obviously means a lot to them uh, that that outcome is is important. Uh, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing this from home today, which I normally don't because I have three kids. And I'm surprised that at some point someone hasn't flown in the door uh, and jumped over the computer. <laughs> um, you know, and with and I don't want to talk about this too much, but we are in the middle of of the pandemic and uh, and COVID. And unfortunately, we're recording at a time where things are taking a step backward. I've talked a lot with clientele, especially parents who feel selfish for taking time away from their kids for, you know, and that's, and whether it's a justification or whether it's a real guilt is, you know, it almost doesn't matter because whatever your limiting factor is, is a limiting factor. Um, you know, so, so with, with things going the way they are, I want to get into some things people can focus on at home, you know, for people that don't have access live, um, to guys like, like you or myself, what are you telling people? Let's say tomorrow, uh, everyone has to go back home. What's the first piece of advice you're giving to your clientele? The, the biggest thing I told people is don't get caught up right now on intensity. Listen, I know that this is all consuming. It's all you see on the news. It's changed your daily routines. But let's hope that 10 years down the road, you look back and you think, wow, 2020 was a wild year. But I'm back going to the gym uh, I'm back to a semi-normal life, I would think, hopefully by then. Uh, and so you think back and you're like, oh, you're never going to be like, oh, I really wish on, you know, in July I was able, I wish I could have squatted heavy that day. You're not going to think about that, right? And you're not going to, your life is not going to matter because you didn't squat heavy or deadlift uh, in July because you had to stay home. And so people are like, no, I got to deadlift. I'm like, yeah, I know you'd like to. But the biggest thing I got out of this as someone who values fitness very much is I survived that time. And I actually got in better shape because I could sleep a little more. I could uh, do low intensity aerobic exercise. And I was actually kind of less stressed because I wasn't running around like you, like you, like when you're a business owner and you got a million things, you're like, there's not enough hours in the day. All of a sudden I was waking up. I was like, Oh, all right. I can just do the couple of focus things I need to do. My life was better in some respects because I, my, me and my fiance, my dog, we walked seven miles a day, probably with the dog. It was 
awesome. I was able to log my food and prep my meals more effectively. I was able to uh, exercise. I have a pretty good set of kettlebells in my garage, but I really only use a handful of them. I was able to do everything I need to do to improve and get better at that skill. So look at it. The only way you can do this to survive something that is completely out of your control. No one listening to this started this pandemic, or you can probably do anything to stop this pandemic. So I'm very much of a stoic mindset to like, what are we going to do to improve ourselves in this? Um, because it's okay. You can be upset by it, but at the end of the day, if we're going to be stuck home for 30 days, you got to do something to, to manage your life. So for me, I said, okay, what am I not good at that? I can work on now. I can work on my food prepping and my food logging. I did both of those. I did way more walking. That's something I could do. And I got better at kettlebell skills because I had kettlebells at my disposal. And so I found, I actually got better at some things I was not good at. I managed my sleep. Like if you look at my aura ring during the time we had our stay at home order, I knocked it out of the park. And because I'm normally like a four to 5 a.m. guy. And like I was sleeping until like seven. And, and, and I was like, oh, I'm going to want to get eight, nine hours every night. Like yeah, perfect. And so you have to look at the, what you got to deal with the cards you dealt. And in, I, I remember I heard a good quote from Jocko Willink. They said like uh, the pandemic uh, exposed pre-existing conditions in both people's health and in people's businesses, the health that people, the majority of people who suffered greatly or, or, I mean, God forbid passed away from COVID. The majority of people had large contraindications like diabetes, heart disease, they were overweight and, and it affects them worse. Right. The same thing with businesses. And there are some businesses that were probably thriving before this and it was out of their control and they went out. There are also businesses that were probably just surviving every month uh, for whatever reason or another. And those are ones that got hit the hardest. And if I think you have to look at it in a mindset of, okay, what can I do better to make myself less susceptible to the pandemic? And what can I do better to come out of this better than I went in? And I think that's the only way you can really, really look at this, this situation and and be able to have a silver lining. Uh, You have to. And, and, and I know, and I, I say silver lining a lot and I, I somewhat feel bad saying it because so many people did suffer through this and it's a terrible thing. But you're right. It did bring out a lot of things. My, my business partner and I, Ryan, we, before this, we were only seven months into owning our gym. So we were both, I mean, I saw him significantly more than I saw my wife and kids, right? 5 a.m. to 9 p.m. every day. We were in there every day. And, and some of that was necessary. I'm not saying we didn't have to do that. But coming out of the, out of the first closure period, the first thing we said was, we're not going to do that. We, we're going to work a lot because we have to because it is a business and that's reality. But I realized I, I don't want to miss any more time with my kids than I have to. I would like to sleep past 4 a.m. once in a while. That'd be great. Maybe see the sunrise after I wake up. Not, you know, not, not after I've been up for two yeah. hours already. Um, so that's an adjustment we made. And I just was talking to a client today who was saying that her company that she works for has realized People, people are happier right now. They're actually working more productively from home than they were from the office. And it's because of these things, because they get these little windows that they didn't have. They can work for a couple hours and then get a half an hour. They can work for an hour and then get an, get an hour. And maybe some days they can be a really productive day and still have the afternoon off. You know, so, and honestly, that's case by case dependent. Um, but I think you really got to sit back, right? You really got to sit back and analyze your situation and find the opportunities wherever they lie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like, like you, like my, my wife is also a coach 
but we're used to running around between appointments, seeing different people. And like, we had time, we, we, uh, she immigrated from Canada to, to move down here. And we both looked at each other. This is the most time we spent together in like our three years that we've been together. This is the most time that we've spent together this entire time. And it was great. And so it makes you realize like, okay, what things do you really value when you're stripped of all the external things that you're running around for? It's not to say those things aren't important, but you're stripped down to like, I need to get food. I need shelter. I need community, right? Okay. How, how do I increase this, the, those things in my life? Once it goes back to normal, it starts to, starts to shine the light on that. I remember like Mike, I like talking to people like Mike Boyle because He's 60 years old. He's been doing this for a long time. And he looked at me. I, we were getting back to go to work. He goes, I'll tell you, I like this way too much. <laughs> and like he he was stressed from the business standpoint. He's been raring to get us back to work. It's been something he's been really pushing for. But at the same time, he goes, personally, and he's got two kids who are, you know, 15 and 19 or 21, actually. Now Michaela's like 21. So uh, so he said, like, this is I was really happy with this, to be honest. And I, and I get it. You get to spend time with your kids. You get to spend time with your wife, you get to be at your house and, and be a part of all those things. But you've got to find a way. It makes you just trying to light on what's important, I think. Uh, yeah. And I think that's, you know, you and I are fitness professionals, but what we do is we talk about quality of life. And so I think this does fall under that spectrum of you got to realize what's important. And if you're going to be able to really focus on, on you and your health, you got to also you know, I just, I, I had on, and I'll, I'll plug it here because people will hear it, but um, one of the orthopedic surgeons for the Chicago White Sox and the Chicago Bulls was on the podcast. Um, so by the time people are listening to this, maybe they've already heard this uh, this episode, but he was talking about how, you know, how people think it's so absurd to think I have to schedule time with my family. Like, you know, you, you schedule your work appointments and you schedule your job and you schedule your workout and then whatever's left over should automatically just be for family. So but when you think of it that way, that time bleeds over, becomes like an abyss. So, you know, I, I liked, I really liked that. And I took it to heart and it's been a new conversation piece with my clientele of, listen, I, I need you to get that stuff in because if I'm going to make you effective in your own health and in our appointments, I, I need you to also be happy outside of here. So please get those, please get those things in. Um, and it's something that's, that's really overlooked sometimes, I think. Yeah, there's a great book called um, Power of Full Engagement. The Power of Full Engagement, that uh, a guy, Ed Lippi, uh, former coach in NBSC, was at Roma. He had recommended this to me years ago. When I started to get really busy, he said, you should really read this book. And this is one of the ones I'll reread um, because it talks about this, how like you can't be fully engaged. You can't be fully committed to anything if you're spread so thin that all your life and your work is bleeding into one another. And you're not saying I'm being intentional with my time. Um, because it's an American culture, especially where we just, everything just like spreads and bleeds through. If you go sometimes to Europe or these other places where, you know, people might say, Oh no, I'm, I won't, I'm only cutting it at five or I'm taking a three week or four week vacation. But that doesn't happen as much, especially Chicago and Boston. Like people work, work, work. Right. So you want to think about like it being intentional, like, listen, no, I, I always leave, like I work late on Mondays and Tuesdays. The reason we're doing this on a Wednesday is because I leave like midday and Thursday and Friday, I cut out a little bit earlier, but I'm in, I'm in earlier. Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to be intentional with my time and being able to say to clients like, no, these are the times I take appointments. These are the times I I'm not in, in me being better with time management because like lots of times, the reason I feel stressed is because I'm not managing my time effectively. And so learning to do that 
it gives you the balance that, oh, I can go home and be with my wife or my kids. I can go and do that activity or that hobby that I like. Like I, I say to our coaches, like early on in your career, if, if you're like in your early 20s, right off the internship, I'm not really concerned that you have a hobby. You don't have a wife and kids. You don't have a mortgage. You don't have these things. You can work a lot. Once you get to your age or my age, I think you have to be intentional with your time. And you should have built the framework and, and start to be able to support these things. But early on, you kind of have to put the time in. So it's it's a conversation that happens as you progress in the in the industry, I think. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and you kind of just took care of my last question for me. Uh, Kevin, I'm, I'm looking at the time and I want to make sure I respect your time here. Um, I'm going to put a lot of what you said in the show notes so people have a little bit of an idea. Uh, where Where can people learn more from you? Where can they find you? Um, the most, I put out most of the content at the movement is medicine, Instagram, uh, at movement is medicine. That's usually where you're probably going to find any of the training content, things like that, or at certified FSC for, um, or all our CFSC content, uh, certified FSC.com for all our upcoming events. So I, if you're looking for me on the internet, that's, that's probably where you should, you should look for me. Awesome. Well, listen, Kevin, I want to, uh, I want to thank you for your time. This was, uh, I was excited for this, uh, for all week and, and it was, it did not disappoint. So uh, thank you very much for being on today. This was awesome. Absolutely, Mike. I'm glad we were able to connect and, and I appreciate you, you having me on. Yeah. Again, as always, anyone with any questions, reach out and uh, I'll connect you with Kevin and anyone in the Boston area, please, please, please look up uh, Kevin Carr and go see him because uh, it's the best in the business and you're not going to find better anywhere. Uh, everyone, thank you for chiming in as always and have a good day. Thank you for listening to the Lifestyle as Medicine podcast. Find more episodes like this at www.lifestyleasmedicinepodcast.com and visit www.marhealthandperformance.com and at Mar Health and Performance on both Facebook and Instagram for more great content and information about programs. Have a great day. See you next time.